Welcome to Let's Keep Talking, a podcast by the Ontario Pharmaceutical Marketing Association. Conversation capsules with the people of pharma, those who have made a mark on our industry, who can help us become better in our roles, all for the benefit of the Canadian patient. COVID-19 has changed the way we look at things, the way we do things, and the way the pharmaceutical industry approaches things. And uh, for today's focus, I, I, I'm, I'm caught up in a, a conversation that I have really elementary conversations about what exactly do we call the post-pandemic world? Uh, I've heard people say, oh, get back to normal. Uh, I've heard other people talk about the new normal. It's going to be the new normal. That's what it's going to be. And then the, the next normal is what, I've, uh, what really resonates with me. I think Acubia coined this, at least for me. Um, and that that really fits because at the end of the day, it suggests that there's the next normal, but there's a next normal after that. And that no matter, no matter what we do, no matter what we think, no matter what we call it, we all know that coming back in a world that doesn't have lockdowns, um, it's going to be different. And that it's important for us to start thinking about that and ways for us to manage and serve the healthcare professionals and most importantly, the patients that we focus on as an industry every day. So today we drop the microscope on some thinking that Acubi has done around the world of the HCP and how that world has impact, impacted their personas. And we'll get deeper into that uh, as we go post pandemic and what we're gonna be needing to think about to effectively manage inside that and our customers' needs. So that's what's today on the OPMA podcast. Let's keep talking. My name is Kevin Wilson. Uh, I'm going to be the host today, and we have Richard Borelli from Acubia. And Acubia has been following the shifts and changes in healthcare, uh, in the healthcare world throughout the pandemic. And today, we'll share a look at the physician and how the pandemic has shaped them. Um, Richard, welcome to Let's Keep Talking. This isn't the uh, first time the OPMA has had the honor of having you uh, as a panelist. Um, on April 1st, you were part of a, a webcast, HCP Engagement in a Virtual World, that really focused on the healthcare environment and then what the physicians are facing now. And you'll touch on that later um, in some of your commentary. Uh, but um, that really led to this, the need to do this. You, you touched on physician personas very briefly, and um, it, it just, it, it seems like such a, a deep, rich topic that uh, we wanted to dedicate some time to that and wanted to make sure it was available to folks this way. So, uh, so Richard, uh, thank you for being part of our, uh, of our podcast. So just a, a couple of quick notes on Richard. Uh, he is the general manager of the Commercial Effectiveness Services Consulting Team at Acubia. Uh, 13 years he has spent leading consulting teams at Acubia that address commercial challenges um, that have been faced by the, the science companies in Canada. And I guess, Richard, my first question is that, do you really believe that COVID-19 is a challenge for us? Yeah, well, I mean, absolutely, it's introduced some challenges. Uh, you, you know, I think it's fair to say that it's accelerated many challenges that have been for a while. And it's uh, really kind of been a, a, a gateway for a lot of innovation to happen and for a lot of great progress to happen 
Um, there's a lot of work to be done still, of course, uh, but we're getting there. Um, uh, one of the kind of sayings that, that you brought up to me uh, when in one of our first conversations was that, you know, the return to face-to-face -face doesn't necessarily mean a return to normal. And, uh, and I think that's true. And that tied with the concept of the next normal uh, really kind of sets us up for the way we need to be thinking about the future. And it's about building agility. It's about building resilience. Uh, more so than understanding what the next tactic is that we need to deploy. And, and I think that's kind of critical to this discussion. Yeah, yeah, excellent. Thanks for that. Um, so as a way to kick us off, Richard, can you tell us a little bit about the work QB has done to track the shifts and changes in behavior uh, from the beginning of COVID-19? Yes, thanks, Kevin. Um, I think it, it probably helps to take a, a step back and think about the previous year, and, and I'll try to sum it up in, in a few key points here. Uh, we took a look at overall uh, sales trends in the life sciences products uh, market. So these would be primarily pharmaceutical products. Um, and if you were to look at the trends in 2020 relative to 2019, uh, we saw a lot of uh, a variation at the beginning of the lockdown. So a lot of stockpiling happened at the very beginning, followed by a, a really significant decline shortly after uh, and a rebound as people kind of came back to pharmacies to get their refills uh, after having stayed away from a uh, healthcare system uh, during that first lockdown. Uh, what was interesting to see though is after July, uh, even though there was a loosening of restrictions and then a further lockdown subsequent to that, um, the sales trends in 2020 mirror those of 2019 uh, almost identically, very little difference and kind of what we would have expected to see, with the exception that we probably would have expected to see a bit of growth year over year. But what we ended up seeing was, uh, uh, you know, stability in the market, which, you know, at the surface leads us to believe that there's some stability kind of being brought into the market, that the healthcare system is now kind of able to manage the uh, restrictions imposed by things like lockdowns. Oh, that really kind of hides some of the undercurrent that's happening. Uh, one is that uh, across markets, we see uh, some markets being much more sensitive to lockdown constraints and others uh, being a little more resilient. Uh, those that are uh, more symptomatic and associated with COVID-19 risk factors tend to be much more sensitive to things like lockdowns and waves of, uh, of COVID. So those would include things like cardiovascular and diabetes, uh, metabolic disorders, uh, but those that are more symptomatic and affect the younger population, like uh, neurology and psychiatry, uh, tend to be a little more resilient and less uh, less sensitive to uh, to changes uh, brought on by different waves. Um, <clears throat> and uh, I guess not surprisingly, the hospital uh, distributed products tend to were most impacted. Uh, they saw their growth. Uh, about halved last year uh, relative to what the expectations were for that uh, for that segment. Um, that's generally brought on by, by a number of different uh, constraints, um, most kind of vividly illustrated by what's happened in oncology. Uh, what we're seeing is generally a 30% decline in the number of patients seen by oncologists. And even those that are seen, 20% uh, of the visit is spent talking about COVID and COVID complications, uh, whether it's reassuring patients that are, are concerned about those risk factors. Um, but the end result is that, you know, about 75% of physicians of oncologists experienced delays in uh, either diagnoses through things like biopsies uh, or chemotherapy uh, treatments being initiated that uh, are 
dependent upon hospitals. Um, and then the net net of that is about 65% fewer diagnoses for uh, oncology conditions were made uh, in 2020 versus what was expected. Um, so that's kind of, uh, you know, indicative of what we expect to see for any of these kind of hospital uh, conditions or conditions that are dependent on hospital yeah. treatment. Um, and what's really, uh, I guess, most concerning is that there's been very little to, if, if any, improvement in those numbers over the course of the entire year. So there is a lot of work to be done there uh, to, to help kind of get us through that. So across so, all therapeutic so. areas, we see similar backlogs in terms of patients. So uh, we're, we're looking at about between 10 and 40% decrease in terms of number of new patients treated. Um, and that includes patients that are new diagnosed, as well as patients that would we would have otherwise expected to uh, switch therapies. Uh, and that really is indicative of a either undiagnosed or undertreated population. So similarly, this, there's this buildup of, uh, you know, patients that are potentially under managed and could lead to deleterious health outcomes in the long term. And, and I really think that we haven't started to experience the real impact of that backlog yet in terms of uh, impact to uh, patient outcomes uh, as a whole. Uh, and again, this is another metric we've seen that has not improved over the course of the year. Uh, we continue to run uh, at a level that is well below uh, historical levels of new patient treatments. That's one of the um, the, the sobering uh, messages I got from the April first presentation was just the the number of patients who are simply delaying care and delaying treatment and allow their allowing their disease states like like diabetes like cancers oncology um, and and letting those progress um, and of course that's going to ripple into the future uh, in managing a sicker patient. Um, any uh, any comments on the general practice? Yeah, I, I, absolutely. I think maybe let's take a, a step back for a second to kind of just put ourselves in kind of the, the, the mindset of that physician, the things that they're having to deal with. So one is this backlog. Um, alongside that, there are some conditions that are growing. So in terms of anxiety and depression-related disorders, uh, we're seeing growth in those. Uh, ADHD we're seeing growth in. And then there's this new layer of uh, what are called COVID long haulers. And these are you know, patients that have recovered from COVID, but now have longstanding implications for, or complications across other therapeutic areas. Uh, one of the most common being cardiovascular uh, uh, complications that occur uh, post COVID. Um, and these are now these new concerns that your physician has to deal with. And you know, the GP is probably most acutely aware of this because they're having to manage the overall kind of healthcare spectrum for, for their patients. And uh, these are, are some of the things that are top of mind that they're having to deal with in addition to the changes of their practice and the kind of general patient anxiety or, or you know, lack of willingness to come into uh, to a healthcare facility. Um, and, and interesting to note, when we looked at uh, our study of physicians, uh, GPs, versus uh, specialists, uh, the, the GPs uh, did state that they were more likely than specialists to require that face-to-face -face visit, and in fact, have maintained more face-to-face -face interactions with their patients than their specialist counterparts. Um, they're, they're also uh, more likely 
to want to continue with uh, leveraging virtual consult uh, in a post-pandemic environment. So they seem to be the ones that are kind of adapting a little quicker, but also recognizing that there is a certain amount of face-to-face -face that's required in order to maintain uh, treatment with their patients. I've also heard some uh, anecdotal feedback from the GPs uh, that I speak with just around uh, getting, getting patients from the specialist uh, because they're managing their backlogs and there may be more time in surgery and that patient coming down into the GP's office for uh, standard blood pressures and, and blood work, et cetera, just, just to get them in the system, make them more comfortable. They don't have to travel as far or, or uh, be as exposed. So, uh, you know, it, it, it ripples and it ripples everywhere. So uh, Richard, if I can, uh, I'd yeah. love to change gears here and talk a little bit about physician personas and maybe just the foundational work around physician personas and, and, uh, and some more questions before we get into the, uh, to the individual physician personas. The concept started back uh, immediately after the pandemic started. Uh, we knew fairly certainly that uh, we needed to, to get a better understanding about what was happening with the physician practices. So we did run a couple of brief questionnaires and at the time we were trying to balance the need for information with you know, the need to stay out of the physician's way and allow them to kind of work through the, the constraints at that time, which were very new to them. Um, and some of the things that were immediately uncovered were that uh, absolutely there was a, a very rapid shift to this kind of virtual form of care and virtual form of communication with the industry. Um, but also at that point, uh, pharmacists and nurses were, were very early on kind of raising their hand as uh, potential uh, partners in, uh, in helping to manage through this pandemic. And we have seen kind of throughout the course of the pandemic, they've stepped up and uh, been significant contributors to that. Uh, and uh, one of the things that we noted early on when it comes to uh, the engagement uh, preferences of physicians in terms of where they felt the future was going in terms of how to how they were going to be caring for their patients as well as how they wanted to interact with uh, the uh, pharmaceutical industry or, or, or others life sciences companies that were looking to kind of partner with them and, and what we saw was a, a dichotomy uh, that approximately half of the physicians interviewed, and there were about 320 uh, interviewed at the time, uh, half of them foresaw a future with uh, acceleration of virtual engagement. And the other half uh, were at the time kind of frustrated with kind of the, the way that things were rolling out and were wanting to go back to a much more traditional or face-to-face -face type of engagement, whether that meant patient care or uh, engaging with industry. Um, so that led us to kind of question, you know, what were the driving forces between some of those tendencies? And what we were able to uncover is that there were really three main factors that contributed to, to how that physician wants to be engaged with going forward in a, in a next normal. Those factors were patient-related. So in some cases, the, the patient's care was driving how the uh, physician would want to in interact. So that included things like their general uh, anxiety of their patients or the risk factors those patients may have had, which were kind of keeping them from engaging with the healthcare system, straight through to comfort with technology and tools and things like that that were needed for that virtual care. Um, and for other physicians, the practice factors were very critical. So that included things like uh, making sure that 
PPE was available, making sure that social distancing was uh, available within their physical practice site, um, making sure they had the technology and even things like staffing and ensuring that the staff were feeling safe and, uh, you know, and, and even their own families uh, in terms of childcare was in place for, for themselves and their families to enable them to be in the office and to be able to continue working as they were. Um, and then finally, the third component was uh, physicians' own preferences in terms of how they prefer to engage with, with, with their patients and prefer to engage with uh, industry. So that would include things like what kind of communication channels, whether they be uh, remote or face-to-face -face or uh, based on a, a networking event and things like that, that kind of what, where that physician's general comfort level lay within in terms of how they would prefer to communicate. So based on those three factors, um, that's kind of what, what led us to try to describe the variety of uh, personas that existed in, in the, uh, the, the physician universe. Wow. Wow. So, uh, so just, to, just to make sure I'm clear on it. So you're taking the, the three factors, you're looking at data within the three factors, and that from that, you're able to bucket them into common personas. And I'm going to say a persona equals the way they behave or, or the way they want to be managed or, or, uh, or dealt with. Um, and that uh, you've been able to come up with five different physician personas. Am I, am I correct in all that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it was a combination of uh, surveys and uh, physician uh, data, behavioral data. So we looked at trends like the physician's ability to maintain a certain level of new patient treatment through the pandemic relative to their peers. So what we noticed is that some, some physicians were able to manage their practice more effectively and efficiently in terms of generating those new patient starts than their peers, and, and those may have been different than the market leaders beforehand. Um, so there was very clear signal that some physicians were just better able to cope in a pandemic setting. And then we layered on top of that uh, responses to a questionnaire which covered kind of those three main factors, those practice factors, the patient factors, and the preferences. We pulled all that information together and then ran some uh, machine learning algorithms against them to create clusters and, and kind of what rose to the surface uh, was a, a kind of five cluster result. And, and within that, we were able to describe these distinct uh, five personas, which to, to us make a lot of sense. And I think help us articulate kind of how physicians want to be uh, engaged with and what, uh, what things we can do to help uh, physicians kind of operate in, in a way that's more efficient, more effective, and, and thereby give us the opportunity to kind of engage with them. So Richard, your summary was way better than mine. So thanks for that. Um, and that uh, if you could just uh, like, we'll zero in now on those five personas, maybe just give us the high level, you know, here are the five personas and then and you, you've titled them or named them. Uh, and then we'll dig into to each one. How about that? Yeah, that's, that's great. I think a good way to think of them is uh, along a spectrum, and, and these are really engaging personas. We focused on kind of what's their preference in terms of, or, or what's the appropriate way to engage with each of these physicians uh, to impact change. And if you think of them on a spectrum of, uh, on one end of the spectrum, 
this concept of uh, traditional, let's call it push strategies of engaging with a physician. So these would be things like face-to-face, uh, -face, direct mail, uh, email. So messages that are pushed to the customer. And within that, we would see one uh, segment or one um, uh, persona, which that would be their comfort zone. And that's the traditionalist. The traditionalist is primarily an office-based uh, GP. They have a, a strong preference for face-to-face -face interaction. Um, they also remained productive during the pandemic. Uh, there were very few patient constraints that they experienced. So this is more about kind of what shaped their behavior is more around uh, their practice and their preferences. And, and they do have a strong preference for face-to-face. -face. They're the ones that are you know, the, the ones that are going to uh, not necessarily engage in a, uh, a virtual or remote way uh, as uh, progressively as some of the other segments that we'll talk about in a second. So in the middle of the spectrum are those personas that you would see prefer to engage in, in what we would call kind of poll strategies or, or poll marketing. So their preference is to access information in a self-serve kind of way, whether that be through things like chatbots, through websites, or through uh, physician-initiated uh, meeting or conversation. And this is the, the comfort zone of the essentialist persona and the seeker persona. And the, the difference between those two is that your essentialist is if you think of like an essential care physician. So these are predominantly hospital-based. They're acute care uh, focused. Uh, they have a preference for pull sources of information, um, mainly for the convenience and the accessibility of the information. And these are you know, potentially you know, the, the type of physician that needs access to information very quickly uh, or at odd hours of the day or, or, or time or, or night, right? So these are, the ones that, you know, the pull source of information, what's driving them is the way that their practice functions. Uh, and it, it has something to do, to do with their preference as well. There is there is uh, already a built-in uh, capability there for them to, to access information in a, in a virtual way. Uh, but more importantly, it's the convenience and that, that's really driving them to, to want this pulse type of engagement. Uh, then we have our seeker persona, which is also going to favor the poll scenario. Um, they are predominantly office-based specialists. They, they share a, a desire in self-serve information, and they really want to engage in enriched discussions. So they were the ones that most preferred this concept of uh, uh, a video, uh, sharing of material, and a two-way conversation all in one. So these are kind of like these specialized uh, uh, tools, something like a Zoom communication with the sharing of virtual material. Um, and for these individuals, their comfort zone is actually go digital first. They're the ones that are going to hop on the internet first and try to kind of solve the problem. That way, they're going to do their own searches for uh, literature reviews, things like that, where they're going to seek information in a virtual way. Um, so these guys are, you know, really require that strong source of self-serve information. Uh, more because that's their innate kind of desires to engage that way. They feel like they get a lot more benefit of the information that way. And then if we think about kind of the, the other end of the spectrum, um, which would be kind of those physicians that benefit most from a coordinated, uh, integrated engagement. So this is kind of push, pull, but not just the push and pull, it's the coordination of 
all those channels. So there are a couple of kind of personas that fit here as well that would find that their comfort zone. There's one which is the enthusiast. These are the youngest segment, mainly GPs, but uh, a good mix of both GPs and specialists. They just have an innate strong preference for virtual engagement. They're very active on social media. They're the ones that are uh, using uh, various social platforms. So they have a comfort for using the, this communication style. It's their go-to source of information um, and it comes naturally to them. So for these individuals, it, it's not just having the communication channels available, but that coordination is critical. And anything less than a coordinated uh, integrated experience could be frustrating for them. And, and it's kind of like a table stakes situation for, for these types of individuals. They'll be the very first to uh, adapt and, and adopt. They'll also be very kind of vocal and engaging uh, through those channels, um, but their expectations are going to be a lot higher. The next group we call the constrained. So the constrained group is interesting because they, they have very similar tendencies to the enthusiasts. But the reason that we're calling them constrained is because they're being held back from engaging as enthusiastically as, as the enthusiasts because of either their, their office uh, practice realities or their patients' realities that require them to be much more uh, providing care in a face-to-face, -face, in a more physical setting uh, than perhaps their enthusiasts. So they're, they're not getting uh, the same level of of comfort, the same level of um, uh, ease of transferring their, their practice to kind of the way they source information. Um, and for these individuals, the key here is going to be freeing up some of those challenges. So understanding what's really holding them back, whether it's their practice or their, their patients and trying to remove some of those barriers for them. And then you'll see them start to behave a lot more like the enthusiasts and get into that kind of uh, really fully engaged uh, and orchestrated kind of way of in, uh, communicating with that customer. So, um, so I, I think, sorry, I, I, we've got five personas, we've got the spectrums. Let's just like start from the left-hand side, move to the right. And, and what were the names of them again? I was, I was so intent in listening to their behaviors that I'll just cover off the, the, the titles you've given them. So if we think about the spectrum on your, your kind of your one end of the spectrum being those that prefer to engage in a much more traditional face-to-face -face manner, you're going to find your traditionalists on that far end. Then you'll find your uh, essentialists who are kind of a little more kind of progressive in terms of how they want to engage with remote channels and your seekers who will be the ones that are actively trying to engage in a self-serve kind of way or uh, want access to information uh, in a time that's convenient for them. Um, and then on your far uh, other hand side, you're, you're going to see those that demand that integrated experience. And that's where your uh, constrained and your enthusiast group is going to be, uh, where the constrained group is really limited by their practice and their patience, more so than their desire to be engaging in a uh, orchestrated way with your, uh, with your engagement. Yeah, awesome, awesome. Thank you. Great, great way to sort of summarize that uh, that whole piece. Uh, I know that uh, I had a little bit of positive task tension in uh, as I listened to, to you talk, uh, and some of the things that I know I'm going to need to lead and and I need to to make changes around in uh, in in the way we do business, our business model. 
Um, just a couple of questions and, and we can uh, close this one off. Have you broken these down into percentages, uh, a percentage of the traditionalists, a percentage of the seekers, um, or, or do you have that sense of it? Like where's the, where are the biggest segments yeah. and, the, and the smallest? Yeah, that's a good question. And I think that, you know, I can give you the breakdown kind of nationally. What we've seen is about 38% are seekers. And then uh, on your traditionalist end, there's just over 10% and your enthusiasts are just over 10%. Um, and then the remainder kind of make up the, uh, the, the in-between there, which would be your, uh, your, your constrained group and your essentialists. So that's kind of how it's distributed from a, a really high level. But, you know, not everyone kind of services the entirety of the Canadian physician landscape. So depending on kind of what therapeutic area you're, you're in and what type of specialty you're, you're focused on, whether they be office-based or hospital-based, uh, those distributions can look very different. Um, but uh, should, you know, generally, that's kind of what we're seeing. Yeah, fair enough. And, and in all of the uh, research, um, I didn't hear you talk about a segment that said, we've got no need for industry anymore. Like, I don't, uh, I don't need your reps anymore. I don't need your information anymore. Was there, uh, I didn't hear you say that, but, uh, you know, it begs the question. Yeah, I mean, on the contrary, I think uh, early on in the pandemic, one of the responses we were seeing from physicians were that they did not want to engage at all with industry. And this was very early on, um, but it only took a few months before we started kind of seeing the opposite. They were they were uh, interested in engaging, not just with industry, but because industry also helped facilitate peer-to-peer -peer interaction, uh, which they were craving uh, shortly after the, the pandemic started. So that was kind of a big part of it. Um, and uh, and we are seeing kind of engagement uh, increase uh, even since uh, middle of the year, it's been consistently going up in terms of the, the volume of engagement that's happening um, across the various channels. Of course, that the mix is changing, but the volume of engagement is getting back to kind of similar levels to what we saw prior to, uh, to the pandemic. Yeah. We're, we're at about 75-ish uh, percent of, of previous volume just across different channels now. Um, so engagement is is something that uh, is is up. Um, I don't we don't hear uh, a reluctance to to engage anymore at all. Um, and in fact, it's about finding the right way uh, to engage. And, and some of the types of questions that uh, physicians have now, um, or at least with the gaps that they're seeing, is uh, in, in terms of providing care and where they see pharma maybe be able to to help them out are in areas of getting access to uh, diagnostics for their patients, getting access to uh, um, multi-care teams or, or um, uh, multi-specialty teams, um, as well as uh, information around how uh, COVID could be impacting those specific therapeutic areas. Yeah, yeah. So what I'm hearing you say is it's the same but different. So they want the interaction, but uh, it might not might not be the same way. So uh, so that's that's good. Listen, thanks thanks for that, and boy, a lot to digest inside of those uh, of those physician personas. So if I asked you, um, you know, what what do we need to think about uh, as an industry as a way to adapt to the post pandemic world based on the personas and and the uh, wealth of information that Acubi has get gathered and, and your knowledge. Um, you know, where's the biggest place that we got to think we, we need to adapt quickly? 
Yeah, I mean, that's a really good question. I think it, it falls in a few different areas. Uh, you know, the first thing is that we know this hasn't impacted everyone equally. Um, so the first thing is to really get a better understanding about the realities of the treatment pathways within the therapeutic areas that you're in. Um, and, and kind of, if I could sum it up, it's really just customer centricity, put yourself in the, in the, the mindset of the customer today and, and what their future reality might look like, uh, as well as agility. Um, now, you know, we know that we're going to have to adapt some of our go-to-market models, um, that customers are going to start getting accustomed to more personalized on-demand services. They'll be less tolerant of fragmented experiences. So, you know, we'll need to be aware of that and be agile and be able to offer this kind of breadth. We also realize that the rep will remain a critical component in this process. And in fact, we've heard time and time again from, uh, from our uh, HCP survey responses that in order to unlock digital engagement, in order to get access to these kind of remote channels and, and these kind of coordinated campaigns, they need to have that relationship, that familiarity with the source of that engagement. And that generally is the rep. And when they see that communication started or that campaign initiated by a rep, they're more likely to engage. And if it's not done that way, they're very unlikely to, uh, to engage. So the role of the rep is going to be critical. Uh, what that means for the skills that the rep needs to possess might actually change as well. Uh, that concept of, of a hybrid rep will just be a rep. Um, you know, the ability to cycle between uh, remote engagement, in-person engagement, and coordination of other marketing uh, activities is going to be the, the, the new reality for the role of the rep. Um, wow. And to kind of support all of this, that adoption of integrated data and technology and uh, continuous improvement uh, is going to be critical to kind of support all of that. Right on. Wow. So the rep is integral. That's that's good news. So uh, so if you were thinking about the different personas, Richard, which one in your mind prevent uh, presents rather the the biggest opportunity for the pharmaceutical industry? Which one of those personas that's evolved? That, that's a that's a really good question. I think they all present opportunities, and it's more about kind of unlocking and what it will take to uh, to unlock. The engagement with each of those, and it, you know, it's what it takes. Will it different for each of them? But you know, if we're thinking about just size uh, of the prize, then I think there's, you know, there are more seekers that are out there just generally. Um, and for those individuals, this is where a strong kind of on-demand uh, engagement is going to be uh, necessary. It's going to drive the uh, adoption for some of them. Um, and then, kind of that next step is really. Um, you know, unlocking those constrained personas. So this is that group of uh, physicians that really want to engage in a much more orchestrated, integrated way. Um, but what's holding them back is their practice or their patient engagement. And if we can kind of help them, help free them from that, help them kind of manage through that patient backlog, you're going to see them very quickly accelerate into uh, adopting a much more, um, you know, a closer relationship with the organizations. Yeah. So, so I guess if we go to the other end, in your mind, which uh, which one of those is going to be the biggest challenge for us? So, Kevin, I don't have an answer for that right now. <laughs> well, listen, that's that's why you're a QVA, right? You find answers for us. Yeah. So, uh, 
so maybe uh, maybe I'll position it as uh, uh, the biggest barrier. Like uh, like if I said uh, said what's the biggest barrier moving forward? Yeah, and I think that one of the the barriers that you know all of these personas are going to share, at least in the short term, is a is a capacity issue. Um, and it's finding ways to free up that capacity so that whatever the form of engagement is, they actually have the time and the mind space to, to do that. Um, and that's going to be in a, in a number of different ways. And, it, and it's not just the pharmaceutical industry that's going to help them do that. We have uh, pharmacists stepping up. We have nurses stepping up. We have uh, public health agencies stepping up uh, to try to help clear some of that backlog. Um, and I think that once that starts to uh, evolve and capacity starts to become somewhat more normal that uh, you know, I think they'll be providing opportunities for the entire industry. Yeah, thanks for that. So yeah, just uh, customer centric, understanding what they're going through and being able to support them and play into it. Uh, I know some of the other podcasts I've listened to is talking about uh, technology for the physician and some of the different ways that they can improve their efficiencies, that it frees up their time, that provides their ability to catch up with the backlogs and capacity and other things. So, so really good. So Richard, um, we've spent a lot of time talking about the, the information you've pulled together around physician personas. In, in your mind, what's the biggest trend in the data that you're looking at right now that, that we should probably be thinking about um, and and uh, acting into moving forward into the future? I think one of the leading indicators is going to be new patient treatments. Um, we've seen that uh, has been very sensitive to some of the, the changes in terms of the lockdown. And also uh, we expect it to be very sensitive in terms of any improvements to the ability to manage uh, new patient treatments. It also is a leading indicator for patient health outcomes, uh, which you know, we expect to materialize in the future. And uh, it's something we're keeping a close track on, but also it's sensitive and granular enough that, uh, that our, our customers, our, our life sciences industry can keep track of these at an individual HCP level. So we can use it to, to monitor which physicians are, are able to get back to this, this kind of efficient way of managing new patients versus others that are still struggling with that and allows us to kind of zero in and, and target and assist those that are most in need. Uh, and it's, it's a very useful metric that way as well. The other thing that I think is gonna be important to follow um, is as we start deploying some of these new engagement strategies is uh, measuring responsiveness to those different strategies so that we can learn and adapt and adjust so that we become efficient and more uh, uh, purposeful in the way we engage. And that doesn't necessarily just mean looking at uh, responsiveness in terms of driving uh, you know, sales, but also uh, should keep an eye on things like productivity of an individual's practice uh, in terms of ability to, to manage the, the patients that they're caring for and just general satisfaction with the types of engagement, the quality of the information that's provided and the relevance of it. So there's kind of new factors that we need to consider um, in addition to responsiveness in terms of uh, sales. Wow, so um, Richard, it's been fantastic. Um, you know, I've had some really interesting conversations uh, with uh, the people internally 
uh, here at Bioscient around change management, kind of the buzzword, you know, change management. And, and uh, you know, I've proposed to them that the next normal is not really about change management. And, and the reason is, is that uh, we changed because we didn't have a choice. Uh, we have to change. And really, it's about adapting and evolving inside of that. Um, and that that's that's probably a better way to think about this adapt uh, adapt rather and evolve um you commented on things like agility because uh, you know who knows i'm probably not going to get it right right out of the gate based on everything that you shared but uh you know our ability to adapt and evolve it's uh, we've never been in this situation before and i promised myself i wouldn't use the word unprecedented um so i'm not going to use it uh, but, you know, we have made some some big shifts and changes in the pharmaceutical industry before in the way that we interact with our customers and provided we're, we're customer centric, we understand what they're going through and that we we give them what they want. And again, I'm going to go right back to those physician personas. Um, I think we can navigate this. So I'm just going to open it up to you, Richard, any any final comments, any final guidance and advice for uh, for the pharmaceutical industry and the listeners uh, taking part in today's podcast. So Kevin, thank you for that. I think that your observation on uh, change management is apt, that uh, change management almost implies that there is an end goal in sight and that we're kind of working towards that. And there is some form of that. I think there are some no regret moves that uh, we're going to be making and that uh, incorporates things like the adoption of technologies and data to support our decision-making. That's kind of that, that backbone um, there's going to be kind of that increase in customer centricity um, and the move to drive more more agile kind of structures and frameworks. But uh, you know there is going to be a sense of uh, unknown. What is that next normal? And we're going to have to evolve with it and stay close to our customers. And those are going to be the core foundations to to how we drive that successful engagement going forward. Um, and I think uh, you know everyone's kind of along that journey, uh, maybe at different points in that journey. Um, but, uh, you know, absolutely, it's, uh, it's an evolution more than it is a transition to a, a new normal. Yeah. And uh, so Richard, thanks for that. And uh, I, I'm going to be using the no regret moves line, right in the future, for sure. Love that line. Love that line. So Richard, special thanks to you. Um, and Acuvia. Uh, it's an absolute pleasure having you on this. Um, if people are looking for more information on the uh, on the physician personas, uh, uh, can you give us some advice on where to get it? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, for the time being, uh, before we have a, a permanent landing site, uh, people can reach out directly to me uh, through email at r i c h a r d b o r r e l l i at acuvia.com. So that's Richard Borelli at acuvia.com. All right. Thanks, Richard. Uh, again, really appreciate the insights uh, from you and Acuvia and the direction and guidance that you're giving us as we all try to navigate this. Uh, thanks and uh, hope to talk to you again soon. Thank you, Kevin. Appreciate it and uh, welcome the opportunity. And I wanted to take a minute and thank you, the listener, for taking time to listen to today's topic. Um, very relevant for all of us. Uh, if you have a question or a comment on today's podcast, 
feel free to leave that at the OPMA website uh, under events. And I'll look forward to uh, the next time we have a chance to get together. Thanks for listening today. The OPMA is committed to adding value to those working in the pharma industry. We look to elevate the reputation of the Canadian pharmaceutical industry as we work together to positively impact the overall well-being of the Canadian patient. If you have questions or comments on today's topic or would like to know more about upcoming podcasts or events, please visit www.theopmaonline.org. And let's keep talking.